Several years ago, I was on vacation with my family. We were in San Diego. Jason had a, a convention thing there, and Ryan, my son, was about, he was middle school, maybe 11, 12, 13 years old, something like that. And I actually went to high school in Vista, California, which was just about 30 miles up the coast, and I thought it would be so cool to show my son where I became famous. So, so I rented a Harley, and we drove up Highway 1, and when we got to Vista, we, I took him to the church where we went to church, and the high school where I was the big man on campus. He didn't seem too terribly impressed. And then, then we went to the house that we lived in right before we moved, and, and it, was, it was surreal because in my mind, this was a mansion. And I remember my dad had built a pool in the backyard for us when we were small, and, but it was all kind of just run down and neglected. And it was different. The, the field, next empty lot where, next door where we rode motorcycles, there's houses all in there now, and it just kind of, I was disappointed somehow, kind of walked away feeling wistful. Reminds me that Thomas Wolfe, Famously wrote, you can't go home again. And I think that's true. And I was thinking about that this week. Our, our lives as humans are a series of stops on a journey. It's like, you know when you take a bus trip, you don't go from point A to point B. It takes three times as long as it's supposed to because you make all these stops. Well, life is like that. And the problem we have is that we're always looking for the destination, and it's, it's hard. It's difficult. I think parenting is a great metaphor for this struggle, this journey. Another story, when Ryan was real small, when he outgrew his crib, we bought a little set of, of boys' bedroom furniture. And you can picture it in your mind. You know, the little twin bed with a headboard, wooden headboard and footboard, a little rickety chest of drawers. And he had a little desk and a chair and survived all the way through high school. Everywhere we moved, that little set of bedroom furniture went with us. Well, when we moved down to the house where we live now in 2000, Ryan was a junior in high school, so we got rid of all the baby furniture, all the little boys' furniture, and he slept in a, in a queen-size bed, I guess for the first time in his life. Unless he's sleeping somewhere I don't know about, I think this is the first time. But, but the point is, he... he, we, he when he went away to college and we sanitized this room. No posters, no baseball cards, all of his clothes out of the closet. So when he came home for his first visit, which was probably, I suppose, Thanksgiving of his freshman year, it was, it was sterilized. And, and he was kind of a little taken back. And I said, son, you got to understand, this is a guest room now. This is not your room. Now, you're welcome to stay anytime you want to come and be a guest. But this is my house, and this is a guest room. And the point I'm trying to make is part of the human condition is that we're always looking for a place to land. We're always searching, yearning for a place where we belong. And the name that we use for this place is home. And that word home evokes all kinds of emotions in us. And many of us, without even realizing, like when I went to that visit 
that house we lived in, in in California. We're trying to kind of reclaim or restore something we feel like we've lost. We're looking for this place that feels like home. We're studying the story of Jacob, and today we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 27. In case you haven't been here, let me just catch you up to speed. Jacob had so desperately wanted the birthright, the, the spiritual rights of his big brother Esau, who was a twin, just born a few seconds before him. He deceived Esau out of his birthright, and then in in league with his mother, he swindled his father to receive the blessing. And now Esau, who was, who was the big brother in every sense of the word, has threatened revenge. So Jacob is forced to leave the tents, his home, where he feels comfortable and he's running for his life. Well, in Genesis 27, we see that his mother, Rebekah, has made arrangements for him to go to Haran where her brother Laban lives and he can go live there and find a job and hopefully find a wife there. But before Jacob leaves, Rebekah feels it necessary to manipulate her husband Isaac again. This is Genesis 27, 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. Now, no offense, ladies, but this sounds so much like a wife. That's, I can hear the tone, right? Isaac! So Isaac gets on board with Rebekah's plan, invites Jacob back in, and actually blesses him again. Genesis 28 Verse 3, this is Isaac speaking. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham, Isaac's father, and Jacob's grandfather. May you own this land where you're now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. And then as the story goes on, Big brother Esau does a totally Esau thing because he learns that his mom and dad are sending Jacob away because they don't want him marrying a Canaanite woman. So Esau immediately goes and marries a Canaanite woman. This is this, is this dysfunctional family. And our story today begins in chapter 28, Genesis 28, verse 10. This says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. So from that moment, Jacob ran away and it became a pattern. He literally spent the rest of his life running away. So here's the question I want us to think about today. What was Jacob running from? Now, that's the same question I think we should be asking ourselves. Because the lives we're living today in this culture are insane. And most of us are pretty much always just running like crazy, just trying to keep up. And it's not just the addresses that change, although we relocate quite a bit. It's also jobs and relationships and dreams. So the question we have to ask is, why do we keep running? I think in a lot of ways we keep running for the same reasons Jacob did. The first one was fear. Now, it seems to me like Jacob had a very viable reason to run away because he thought Esau was going to kill him. But in our lives, we fear things that haven't happened yet and probably never will. And the anxiety is killing us literally. 
In fact, according to the American Journal of Managed Care, fear is our worst social disease. Commonly known as social anxiety disorder, we saw the effects big time during the pandemic. All the anxiety and nervousness. But it wasn't just the pandemic. The truth is social anxiety disorder has been escalating for years. At some point, we started putting fences and gates around our housing additions and buying elaborate security systems. I think it's kind of funny to me, you'll have to forgive me, but we're afraid to let our kids play outside. And God forbid we should let them cross the street. How many of you like me had a bike and rode all over town when you were a kid? Yeah, good old days, right? Now we can't let our kid get on a bike or a scooter without a helmet and elbow pads and knee pads and bubble wrap. <laughs> and also in our culture, Every stranger is someone to fear. I literally heard two stories just this past week of people that were approached in kind of strange situations by a stranger, and they were terrified. And I get it. I understand. But our problem is not just physical fear. We're also running from fears that we cannot identify to things that cannot take away our fear. Like because we're afraid of loneliness, we run into illicit relationships. And because we're afraid we somehow won't measure up, we work harder than everybody else at work. Or, or we're so worried about what people think of us, we just run, 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 run. We run because we're afraid. Secondly, we run because we feel like frauds. I mean, think about how Jacob must have felt. His mother taped goat hair on the back of his hands and the back of his neck so he could fool his father. And the Bible tells us that Isaac even said, are you sure that you're my son Esau? And Jacob said, oh yes, it's, <clears throat> oh, yes, it's me, Esau. <laughs> well, I get it because that's how I feel every single Sunday. I'm always afraid that somebody's going to stand up in this congregation because I'm convinced that somebody's going to stand up and say, Randy, you're a fraud. You don't know any more about the Bible than I do. And they would be right. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. So every weekend for 28 years, I stood before you feeling like a fraud. And in our society, it's, it's all the time. We're always moving to new places. And, and again, not just changing addresses, but changing identities. It's really easy to assume a new identity these days. I had an HR director at one of the companies I call on say this to me. It's easier to answer the question, who is he, than why did you hire him? And I believe that social media has totally magnified that problem because we can put a false front out there and everybody kind of buys it. Well, should we just assume that everybody's a fraud? That's no good. That makes us run away. And the third reason we run is just because we're restless. My family moved a lot when I was a kid. When I was small, my dad framed houses, and we kind of were always moving where the work was. So Roger and I went to different school every year. In fact, when I was a first grader, he was a kindergartner. We went to two different schools in the same year. And, and I frankly, I enjoyed that. It warped Roger. This is why he is like he is. 
But I always, it was kind of a new adventure to me, new friends and new school and new teachers. And, and I, today I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want to uproot my kid. And I get that I understand. So we run. When, when we were, I was in fifth grade, I think, we moved from Orange County, California, which is up near L.A., down to San Diego County. And then right before my senior year of high school, we moved from California to Oklahoma, and then when my mom and dad retired, they sold their home and bought an RV and just started traveling all the time. And until I was getting this message together, I didn't realize that my dad was restless. But I suppose that he was. But we need to understand today, church, that home is not a place. Home is a feeling. It's an emotion. And it's elusive. And some people run after this feeling their whole lives. Well, let me tell you the truth. Listen to me. Listen. We're not supposed to feel at home here. C.S. Lewis, the great English theologian and author, said this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. In fact, as God's people, we are designed to be mobile. We're designed to move. You think about Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. In Genesis chapter 11, God came to Abraham and said, I want you to pack up your stuff and just leave. And, and Abraham said, well, where, God? And God said, don't worry about it, just go. And Abraham did it. And when God gave Moses and the children of Israel the law after he had delivered them out of Egyptian bondage, you remember he gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Why? Because they're moving. And he wanted to leave them. In fact, their church, their tabernacle was portable. It was a tent. Set it up, tear it down. Set it up, tear it down. They were always on the go. Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Because in the New Testament, I read when Jesus recruited his disciples. You see where Peter and, and Andrew were fishing. James and John were mending their nets. And Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And they just did. Mark 1.18, at once. They left their nets and followed him. that crazy to you? Matthew was a tax collector, literally at the tax collector's booth, like a teller at the bank. And Jesus said, follow me. And he left it and he did. He just followed him. In the New Testament church of the book of Acts, when they finally got settled in Jerusalem and they were enjoying the move of the Holy Spirit and the church was growing, everything was going great, God injected a little persecution to make them unsettled because we're not supposed to be still, we're supposed to be moving. And for us, following Jesus is not a static thing at all. Movement is required. We're on journey. We're in process. We're not supposed to be settled. We're not supposed to be at home. So, of course, we're restless because we're not home yet. Now, I'm not saying that this life doesn't matter because it does. John 3.16 says that Jesus loves this world and he wants to redeem it and save it. And he wants to use you. We're part of God's plan. But I believe we're never supposed to really feel settled until we're with Jesus. So, what do we do in the meantime? I mean, some of you are a lot younger than I am. You have a lot of years left. And you're hearing me talk about this. You're saying the world just keeps getting worse and worse. Are we supposed to just grit our teeth? Make it? Or, or just pretend like, like everything's going to be okay and just keep putting one foot in front of another? What do we do in the meantime until we get home? 
Well, there's an app for that. God ordained an activity, and that's not the right word, a, a, a pastime, a, a discipline, a practice, and it's designed to encourage and empower God's people. This, this activity is designed to provide relational connection with God, and it's called worship. But I'm afraid that worship is so misunderstood because God calls us to know him and yet he's completely unknowable. And yet he calls us to know him. God invites us to worship, which is the venue or the playground in which we can establish connection with this eternal creator God. Worship is literally embracing the vastness, the, ma the majesty, the majesty of God, where we wade out into this unknown and actually embrace it. Yes, we don't understand, and yes, that's okay. Pastor Brady Board, I love this quote. He said it this way. Awe is the worship of God's mystery. Awe is the awareness that God is bigger than we think, greater than we can imagine, holier than our best moments, and more powerful than all our best prayers. And here's what I think is the greatest thing about worship. Worship is a taste of home. Worship is a glimpse, a sense, a whiff of home. Okay, now let's get into Jacob's head just a little bit. I, I want you to see this before we talk about this next passage of Scripture. Are you okay so far? So Jacob's running, and he doesn't know where he's going. He just knows he has to go. He has no idea what the future holds. He has no idea what he might find. All he knows is he's always looking over his shoulder because he's afraid that Esau's going to stick a knife between his shoulder blades. So Jacob is pushing, 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 pushing until he finally just runs out of steam. And the Bible says he arrives at a place where he's collapsing in exhaustion and, he, and he's so tired he even uses a rock as a pillow and falls into a deep sleep. And Joseph has a dream. And the Bible says there's a stairway running from earth to heaven, and there's angels ascending and descending on the stairway, and up on the top is God himself. And in this dream, God speaks to Jacob and says this, Genesis 28, 15, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I finish giving you everything I promised you. Now, when Jacob woke up, his circumstances had not changed, but his perspective had. This is Genesis 28, 16. Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So Jacob took the stone he was using as a pillow and anointed it with oil and built an altar there. And he renamed the place Bethel, which means house of God. And Bethel is actually the place where Jacob came back to years later and established his home and raised his family. So problem solved, right? All of Jacob's questions are answered. All of his yearnings realized. And everybody lived happily ever after, right? Um, no. And I'm afraid that we struggle with the same problems that Jacob struggled with. Because we come to church every Sunday. 
And we got caught up in the presence of God and it's so beautiful and it's so real. We, we make a promise to ourselves and we say, I love this being in God's presence. I'm going to live here. I'm going to stay here and, and, and I'm going to be different from now on. And then we leave and it doesn't happen. And so we come back the next week with the same needs and make the same promises and leave again with the same hopes and it doesn't happen. Well, here's the lesson. Listen to me. Worship is not a destination. Worship is part of the journey. It's integral. It's vital. But it's not a destination. It's not the end. We talk a lot about life here, life in air quotes. I want you to know that life is not what you can see. Life is not raising kids and making a living and keeping up with the Joneses. Life is the season where God makes us into what we're supposed to be. Life is the crucible where God perfects us. And God is always in life, life, God is always at work in and through and beneath and inside of, of this experience called life. But in living life, we often forget that life is a journey. Now, it's, it's, it's cool, but there's an end. There's an end to this journey. And the end is amazing. And I think it's not going to be very long from now. And the coolest part is, is that Jesus is there. And I'm here to tell you that our hearts are never going to be satisfied, truly satisfied with anything in this world. We're only going to find fulfillment when we look on the face of the one who died for us. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But listen to me. Jesus is here too. Now you can't see him, but he's here. And maybe like we've talked about Jacob the last couple of weeks, we've already received what we've already always wanted. So in the meantime, and still we, still we see Jesus face to face, we gather on Sundays. And the worship team comes up here to lead us in worship. And at some point they say, shh, listen, listen, shh. Do you hear that? Angels ascending and descending. Can you hear it? And the worship team says to us, well, maybe this is the place of God. Maybe this is the gate to heaven. And we go, that seems a little weird. That doesn't make sense to me. I can't. I can't make that work logically. And, and, and of course you can't. And so a lot of times as the church, we respond incorrectly. We think if we provide information, help you understand, then everything will be worked out. But we're never going to understand God. He's unknowable. And nothing wrong with information. We want to study the word. We want to learn. That's called discipleship. But God has also ordained worship. And we don't need to understand worship. Worship is not supposed to be logical. Worship is where we come and embrace the majesty of an unknowable God. Worship is when we come and wade out into the great vastness of this unknowable God. And can I also say that worship is not just for Sunday? You need to find you a quiet place. And invite God to invade the space where you are. And just listen. You'd be amazed. You need to get out and worship in nature. 
and appreciate what God has made. And can I also tell you that we're not supposed to understand a mountain or a sunset or the smell of honeysuckle? That's, we don't understand that stuff. But God forbid we should ever be like Jacob and say, surely in, the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. So one day soon, we're going to see Jesus. And all of our needs are going to be met. Until then, 